Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to this month's Emerging Market Lens and Look Through podcast. I am your host, Damien Sassauer, and today we are joined by a dear old friend of the show, Mr. Winthin, Senior Vice President and Global Head of FX Strategy at Brown Brothers Harriman. A real privilege to have you here, Win. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, Damien, it's, it's always my pleasure to appear here. Thanks for having me. Always, mate. So look, I mean, let's get right into it. Um, Despite the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas, the Fed has proven to be more macro relevant than it seems everything. China, Russia, Gaza, you name it. Um, And just by way of um, reference, relative to the levels which preceded the uh, attack on October the 7th, equities are now up, oil prices are down, credit spreads have tightened, the dollar has weakened. And indeed, it looks like the primary driver of emerging market risk premia over the past few weeks has indeed been U.S. Treasury yields. So with the Treasury, uh, with the 10-year down, what, 50 basis points over the past month to call it 4.5%, my question for you, Wynn, is how should investors be thinking about the macro landscape? Well, Damon, there have been so many unexpected twists and turns uh, this entire year. Um, but you know, obviously, the latest twist was this huge run-up in Treasury yields, since, at least since over the summer, uh, which quickly reversed uh, over the course of October and, and what we've seen so far in November. And again, this pendulum sentiment always swings very violently and very to very much, very much extreme levels. So what I would say that I think uh, you know, we had the soft CPI data this week, which pushed this pendulum sentiment back towards a very dovish Fed narrative. Uh, right now, um, the rate cuts are being priced in for, I believe, May of next year to start and four cuts priced in by end of 2024. I think that's way too extreme. Uh, I, I can't get too excited about one month of CPI data. I think there's uh, indications that uh, there may have been some distortions. We know the labor market remains firm. Retail sales today were, were relatively strong. So you know, I, I, I just caution the market getting too carried away on this dovish Fed narrative. Now, the Fed has helped things by, by feeding this narrative. Um, but I, I think it's, it's way too early to get bowled up on risk. Uh, obviously, we're getting a nice little bounce here. But I, I just think there's still a lot of moving parts Inflation still, when all said and done, inflation remains elevated. Um, and so while further Fed hikes may be off the table, I don't think the, 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 the Fed is going to be cutting as quickly as markets expect. And that's, that's a little, I think, uh, where, the, where we make another uh, leg of repricing for emerging markets. Yeah, no, I don't disagree, Win. And, you know, I guess for me, you know, how do we expect this to kind of, you know, manifest itself in, in, in emerging markets? Certainly for me, it's, it's going to be on the FX side first and foremost. And, you know, with King Dollar down now over 2% on the month here in November and roughly flat on the year after being up um, for a better part of it, I'm just curious, you know, in your opinion, how much runway does dollar weakness have in the current environment? Well, until we get a, a little more evidence that this narrative, uh, dovish Fed narrative is overdone, the dollar certainly remains vulnerable, but again, I'm looking at the data. You know, if you look at the GDP, uh, so now cast, the U.S. is still growing like two and a half percent. We're still adding somewhere around between one fifteen to two hundred thousand jobs a month. So, again, the U.S. is 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 powering ahead. It's sort of the global engine of growth, even as China struggles and Europe and UK goes in recession. So, you know, to me, that's the, another sort of negative. I think a backdrop for for emerging markets that global growth is to me is likely to slow next year. Uh, I think. Consensus looks for some sort of uh, recovery, but again, the U.S. is slowing, China's slowing, 
Japan's struggling. We just had a, a weak Q3 GDP report. So it, it's hard for me to get really, really excited about emerging markets until we get some, you know, more clarity on, on sort of global growth. And, and near term, uh, I, I don't see a lot of good news on the horizon. Yeah, no. And I mean, when, I mean, let's, let's just take a step back here. Based on rate differentials alone, most models actually point to dollar strength versus the yen and euro into your yen, right? I mean, I think, you know, just based on, you know, whatever you feel fair values are, I mean, but it has been a carry story year to date, right? I mean, let's be clear, you know, if you look at the yes. winners and losers in FX, it's, it's, it's a carry story, right? You've got Absolutely. the damn high yielders, you know, outperforming the low yielders. I'm curious, you know, with the impoly policy rates now well above pre-pandemic levels, and now we are starting to see some evidence of that weak activity data coming through. I'm thinking China, Brazil, India, to a lesser extent, you know, what do you think is the best way, or shall I say, which countries are best positioned for you to monetize all that carry that's on offer in the EM complex? Yeah, no, that's a very good point, Neiman. I mean, if you look, if you look at the sort of year-date performances, um, you know, first half was all the high yielders, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Chile, they all did very well. But to me, right around mid-year was, when, was sort of a game changer. And that's when EM started to really struggle in terms of growth. And we, we had some central banks and emerging markets start to cut rates aggressively. I'm talking about Hungary, Chile, uh, Brazil, less so aggressively, but certainly cutting as well. And to me, the second half of this year has been a, a real sea change. Those countries that are, that are cutting aggressively, Poland, I think, is in there as well, are seeing their currency suffer. And so these central banks are doing a bit of a tap dance. You're seeing how much they can get away with cutting without upsetting the ca- apple cart and, and sort of inviting currency weakness, because that, in, in turn, messes up the whole inflation narrative. So you know, we've seen some countries like Poland sort of adjust, Chile also to um, adjust and deliver some hawkish surprises after delivering some dovish surprises earlier. So um, to me, I think that the, the best countries that well positioned for that, I think, are Mexico and Colombia. They've been very, uh, very cautious about cutting rates. Um, you know, Mexico is tied into the strong U.S. economy. Uh, Colombia, less so, but also doing relatively better than some of these other countries. So uh, to, those two are my favorites, I think, um, in terms of, of uh, picking up the carry. Brazil has been cautious. I mean, they, they, they've been cutting at 50 basis point clips, but, um, you know, um, President Campos Neto has been... Uh, inject a little bit more caution. So um, th- I think those are, to me, the, my three favorites uh, in terms of carry. Well, you know, I, I've got to just hit on that. You mentioned Poland in there. And as you know, there was just an election in Poland, a very kind of interesting one. Um, and look, I mean, if we look ahead to next year, you know, ballots are going to be cast in more more than 30 countries. That means a record two out of every three adults in the democratic world is going to be voting for a new leader in 2024. And, you know, obviously we're following the EM elections here in Argentina. We had that election in Poland, Ecuador as well. I'm curious, what other idiosyncratic stories are you and the team at, at Brown Brothers most focused on? Well, I think the one thing that we, we learned this year and even I would say 2022 as well is just the unpredictable sort of geopolitical uh, forces at work, whether that's... Um, Obviously, the invasion of Ukraine, Gaza, um, <laughs> incursions, and also just a homegrown sort of swings to, to the more popular side in, in, Latin, in Latin America. You know, I think you know, all these things are, are quite unpredictable, but I think what, what I think it means is that investors have to really, really do their homework uh, much deeper. You know, the, the sort of the orthodox macro stories that, that I think you and I really cut our teeth on um, in our careers has, has really eroded, right? We're seeing much more populist measures. We're seeing huge swings to the left, especially in Latin America, uh, making policy really much more predictable. Uh, I think the big worry out there uh, remains Taiwan and China. I mean, I, obviously, we're all hoping for the best, but I think with, with what's happened in Ukraine, 
uh, and to a lesser extent in the Middle East, you know, I think markets are on alert for something, some sort of flashpoint geopolitically. And I think, you know, the, obviously Taiwan and China are the obvious answer. Now, my reply to that would be that uh, the fact that President Xi and Biden are speaking this week uh, in itself is is, a, is remarkable, right? I think it may be a sign that things are thawing. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Um, but, um, you know, I think that's a big flashpoint, uh, this whole China story that's going to continue to reverberate for, for years, not decades. And when, you know, our audience is well aware of the fact that dollar yuan's down nearly 5% on the year, that the Chinese economy is on its back, Beijing must issue more debt. And, and you're right, President Xi Jinping is making an attempt at reproachment with the U.S. But, you know, with all that's going on and the outflows, you know, and now, you know, you're hearing this news that institutional investors here in the U.S. are specifically, you know, changing their benchmarks to exclude not only mainland China um, assets and equities, but, but Hong Kong uh, equities as well. You know, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how investors should approach China in this really uncertain environment. Yeah, absolutely, Damon. I mean, really, it, it, with all these sort of unpredictable uh, domestic reforms that President Xi has undertaken over the last couple of years, it's really hurt investor sentiment. So you've got that sort of structural question about, hey, can we depend on you know on China as, as a partner for investment? And you've got the cyclical story that you touched on. The, the economy is, is, is in the doldrums. You've got a huge debt overhang, property sector still struggling. So... That's a double whammy that I think, as you point out, has led to, to huge uh, outflows of, of foreign capital. So to me, I think that's one of the reasons why perhaps President Xi is coming back to the table uh, with, with President Biden and the West. You know, China needs foreign investment. Uh, they need to be, as, as much as they want to be self-sufficient, they, they need the foreign investment, foreign know-how, um, both uh, foreign investment in portfolio and direct investment. And to me, that makes me a little bit perhaps... Um, more optimistic that that we'll, we'll avoid some sort of flashpoint, some sort of U.S.-China uh, trade war or tensions or what have you, um, and that they will try and work out a, a workable dialogue. Um, that that's my keep my fingers crossed. But for now, there's no doubt about it. China's not the sort of the net no brainer that it was say five years, ten years ago, and, and investors are certainly rethinking that. I think the cyclical story will improve. Uh, the structural story, I'm not, I'm not. So optimistic about near term, I, you know. I think, uh, Damon, if you go back, you know, this is really a, it's a classic EM debt problem. It's a huge debt overhang uh, that they can't grow their way out of. Uh, and you know, this, we could spend a whole podcast on the whole story of how China gets out of it, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do not disagree with you. And it is going to be, I think, it's going to get a little bit more challenging before it gets easier. But you know, let's shift gears a bit. You know, we talk about China, we talk about rerouting of supply chains. I mean, no supply chain has really been rerouted or re redirected more than that of, uh, of of oil, of energy supply. And we've got Brent crude down now nearly 20% since September. I mean, when, what in good heavens is going on with the price of oil? I mean, are these merely the forces of supply and demand, you know, converging? Or, or perhaps this is something about how supply chains have evolved since the war in Ukraine. And I wonder, on that end, do you have any thoughts about some of the competition I'm hearing between Saudi Arabia and Russia as it relates to oil supply in Asia? Well, when you look at oil, I think you always have to talk about sort of, I think, um, breaking it out into sort of supply, supply metrics and demand metrics. And, you know, I think the big story for the last year has been uh, supply side because OPEC plus, you know, led by Saudi uh, Arabia and Russia has been very aggressive in cutting supply. And that drove up prices uh, early this year. Um, but I think, at, you know, for the last couple of months, you know, let's, let's sort of step away from the sort of Middle East Gaza issues, because that's obviously was a big spike. But, but in terms of uh, uh, demand, I think what's the weakness in oil uh, prices lately reflects more of uh, demand metrics. And that 
that to me, it sort of supports my view that, hey, look, China's slowing. Uh, most of Europe is in recession, going into recession. Japan's struggling. At some point, well, the U.S. is going to slow, and the whole the debate is open about whether the U.S. goes into recession or not. But to me, that's that's all, to me, a, a, a weak demand story for oil. And um, so whether OPEC will OPEC Plus will continue to try and um, throttle back on supply to, to maintain some sort of floor, well, that's that's to be to be seen. But you know, as we know, when when things get tough, we start to get cheating, right? That's we've, that's an old cheat, you know, the old quoted cheating story from from OPEC that we've seen time and time again. Um, but to me, again, I, I think the weak oil the weak oil price story really reflects, I think, a, a more challenging global growth outlook. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're right on with that. And and look, I mean, we're getting a little bit, you know, to the end here. I just, you know, before I lose you, I have to ask you this one question. You know, I, I, I've asked you this before, but, you know, it's it's just been such a dynamic beta regime. I mean, what risk do you feel in your in your gut? Markets currently are not pricing in three-year end. I mean, effectively, what is the pain trade today in global financial markets? Well, I do think that, uh, I alluded to this earlier, I do think this dovish Fed narrative is is the, the pain trade. That is, you know, loading up on treasuries, uh, selling the dollar on on expectation that the Fed is going to cut because the U.S. is going to slow um, markedly. I think I really think that's overdone. You know, the market's been wrong about the Fed this entire cycle. Uh, it, there's just no two ways about it. And they, they, I think it's someone did an article, a great article I think on Bloomberg about this is something like the seventh time that the market is pricing a pivot during this cycle. And you know, is that the seventh time the charm? I don't know. I don't think so. I just see continued resilience in the U.S. economy. So I guess to me, like I would just warn investors that don't underestimate the strength of the U.S. and the, the and the uh, the capacity of the Fed to have to maintain tight monetary policy. I'll, I'll leave on one last thing, uh, Damon. I just took a look at the Chicago Fed's measure of financial conditions, and with this huge rally in bonds and stocks, financial conditions uh, through last Friday are now as loose as they were in late February of 2022, before the Fed started hiking. And given the moves we've seen this week, they're going to get even looser. So I, the Fed has a lot to do. And I, I don't see, um, you know, sort of the, the inflation coming down so easily. And even the bar, even the, the doves like Barkin have said, hey, it's not going to be an easy glide path. We've seen that in Australia. We've seen that in some of the Nordic countries. And, and I think the U.S. will eventually reflect that as well. So, you know, you know, when I just have to ask you then, I have to build on that because you make such an excellent point. It's a point that, you know, I've hit on repeatedly in my conversations with investors is, you know, now the Fed is explicitly talking, uh, targeting financial conditions, right? And so, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, we obviously know it's the dual mandate, it's inflation and full employment. But I mean, from my perspective to kind of just come out with that, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think of financial conditions, I think of equities, the dollar and credit spreads. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if, if those are the three elements that has the Fed's attention here today, I mean, what does that mean for, you know, for market practitioners and for, you know, emerging markets writ large to, to sort of for other central banks, I guess, who have to manage through that. And it's going to be very, it's going to be very challenging. And I hope it's, it's, I hope we're not, you know, kind of on the verge of sort of a, a Marty Eccles type Fed credibility issue here, you know, <laughs> but, oh, but it just yeah. seems, it just seems to me to be very gray. I mean, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, remember, remember just back in October and early November, the Fed makes such a big deal about how the long end of the, the curve rising would, would do all the hefty, heavy lifting for the Fed. And all of a sudden, hey, the 10 years now down 55 point basis points, I think, over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, all of a sudden, and to your point, credit spreads have narrowed, equities are rip-roaring. Uh, so it, it, the Fed is really complicated things. And, I, and, I, and listen, I know they have a very difficult task, but I think the communication, I, I really do find fault. And I think they've been really a bit too dovish. They've been really hanging their hat 
a little too much on the soft landing, um, uh, falling inflation narrative. And and yes, it, it's possible, but you know, in all likelihood, I'm, I'm looking at stubbornly high inflation really in many many other countries, and, and it's just. I, I think they got, in a sense, I think they got a little too confident, overconfident that, that things are going the way. Look, I, I hope, I hope they're right. I don't. No, no one wants to see a recession. No one wants to see unemployment rising. But you know, just going on the odds, just what I've seen in my career, it, it's a very narrow sort of runway to get that kind of outcome. Um, but it's all TBD, right? It's all to be determined. It's, it's data. I guess. I mean, that's. A, I'll say that one last thing. What What really bothered me about the Fed's communication is said, "Hey, we're, we're, they stressed how they're data dependent." And then they went out and said, well, you know what, we're done. And they weren't looking at the data and they weren't, you know, they sort of predetermined this outcome that, hey, we've done enough when the data hasn't really truly spoken uh, fully yet. I do not disagree with you. And I think, you know, you as well as myself are kind of contending with a lot of these challenges and trying to read these markets and, and read the tea leaves. But I think that's all for now. Win, thank you so very much for sharing your thoughts, your views with us here today. And thank you to our audience of ever-enduring, always-committed emerging market enthusiasts for your time and continued interest. Keep well, stay safe, and keep moving forward. 